0: We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance. But no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At Whoop, we measure the body 24-7, and provide analytics to our members to help improve performance. This includes strain, recovery, and sleep. Our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world to Navy SEALs to fitness enthusiasts to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among WHOOP members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? We're launching a podcast to dig deeper, We'll interview experts and industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the Whoop podcast.
1: People are killing themselves by eating the wrong stuff and by not moving. And we can fix all this stuff and what we're doing in the hospitals, you could alleviate a tremendous amount of the strain on this economy and the healthcare system by just working a little bit of prevention or a little bit of just lifestyle improvement for people.
0: What's up, folks? Today on the podcast, we've got Marcus Philly a six-time CrossFit Games competitor, and the owner and founder of Revival Strength Training. Marcus also has a degree in molecular and cellular biology from the University of California, Berkeley. He left medical school to focus instead on helping people be more fit and live healthier lives. That was a balance I touched on with Marcus that I love, the idea that he comes from a medical background and is now applying that to health and well-being in the fitness space. We talk about Marcus's background in athletics, from his time as a college soccer goalie to his rapid ascension to the top of the CrossFit world, and how that led to what he does today. We talk about functional fitness versus bodybuilding, how he looks incredibly good with his shirt off, but also has made for functional gains across fitness. Everything he does related to fitness over time, the tests that he does, recovery techniques that he prefers, diet and nutrition, sleeping habits, um, and we talk about how Whoop helps him be a better athlete, a coach, a business owner, and father, and how he's been using it with his clients. Whether you're an athlete or not, I think you'll find Marcus's insight into healthier living to be really, really helpful. Without further ado, here's Marcus.
1: Marcus, thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, and thanks for just continuing to be, uh, yeah, keep me part of the Whoop family. It's been a couple-year journey now. It's been great. Yeah, so you've been on Whoop for how long? I want to, I mean, I haven't looked up my logs or anything like that, but I want to say it's been almost two years. Uh, It's awesome. Yeah, early, kind of like an early test group of athletes from OPEX. Uh, I wasn't like an OPEX athlete, and they, you know, got us in touch with you guys and- started playing around with it
0: well we'll talk a little bit about about whoop but i wanted to start with you like how how do you like to describe yourself
1: if someone asks you know hey marcus what do you do um i definitely start with fitness professional yeah i'm a, a health and fitness professional who is probably a coach first athlete second um and my journey through fitness in the last 10 years sort of switched that i mean i went from you know, coach first, athlete second, and then athlete sort of took the to, took to to the forefront. Um, but now it's like I'm a, you know, I'm a coach and, and and an educator, and I use my my history as an athlete and my continued pursuit as an athlete to inform what I'm doing with my clients, what I'm teaching other people around the world, and uh, and the message that I'm sharing. So trying to, you know, walk the talk, so to speak. And you are super fit, man. I mean, I don't, I don't throw
0: that around, but I've seen your your Instagram page and everything else, and you look like straight out of uh, Troy, like Achilles. You know, <laughs> which I think is like maybe the greatest compliment I can give another man. Well, I
1: appreciate that
0: a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, your background as an athlete. Talk a little bit about that for our audience. So, I, I read here that you were a D one soccer player.
1: Um, how'd you get into soccer? Well, I grew up in nearby San Francisco Bay Area, and I think with, yeah, with with the community that I was, you know, raised in, soccer was kind of like the, I don't know, the the main recreation sport, that and Little League. Um, Baseball, you mean? Yeah, Little League baseball. So they had kind of the biggest influence. And, you know, my parents, I was really active as a kid and they just kind of, allowed me to just kind of choose what I wanted to do. Um, but soccer just started super early. I had some friends, we all put, put together a little rec team, you know, and I think we were like seven years old, eight years old. And, uh, and then from there I just kind of stuck. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't really about soccer as like a passion. It was about being physical, being active, being, um, competing. Yeah. Competing to some degree, but I loved more like the training and the Process, process of just being yeah. a physical person and uh, I needed a physical outlet. I wasn't like a rowdy kid that was going to like, you know, beat up other kids if he didn't have a physical outlet or something like that, but I just I just was drawn to anything physical. Um and and I had a little talent for soccer and I got kind of connected with a team early on that was very successful. So like when when competitive youth soccer was really just kind of getting going in the US. I mean, prior to pr- my generation like there wasn't really like just these elite level, you know, club soccer in, in the United States was just not a thing, you know, club soccer in around the world is it, it's everything. Um, so I just got, I just kind of fell into a really good program with a good coach and we had some success. And then my group of, you know, uh, teammates that I grew up with, many of them went on to be national level players playing at, you know, high, high levels professionally. Uh, it was just a kind of a weird group of us that just saw all from a small town that just found each other and, and went on to do some really cool things. And, you know, today, I mean, you look like you look more like almost like a wrestler
0: or a bodybuilder, right? Like, what was that transition for your for you physically? Like, yeah, I imagine you're significantly stronger today than you were as a college uh, soccer player.
1: Uh, it's and, funny you mentioned or, that. Or is your physique well, similar? It was, it's actually somewhat similar. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, this is the case with many, many people that end up in this position. But I was like the, the athletic type that could do anything. And when the, when the goalkeeper got kicked off the team, they're like, Marcus, we need you to go step in the goal. So basically, since I was a sophomore, I became a goalkeeper. And so as a goalkeeper, you know, the, the physique of, of a shorter stature goalkeeper had to be someone who was like pretty built because I wasn't. I wasn't six foot four. I wasn't, you know, able to leap over everybody. I kind of had to leap through people and, you know, had to be able to muscle people, you know, outside of in, in the box and get people off me to, to, to take in crosses or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I, I always had somewhat of a muscular physique. And I think I remember being in, in high school, no, like junior high, we went to a, like a sleepover soccer camp. It was called like two river soccer camp. And they let me and my teammates in cuz we were all really successful and with our you know our our state championship whatever yeah. but we were the youngest kids there and i remember there was this old, older guy who was in high school and he was super ripped and he had like back muscles that you could see like the traps you know and people called him a uh, christmas tree cuz he had like the tree back <laughs> right. and i was like that's what i want to look like i don't know why that stuck out in really my mind stuck but for you. yeah and so i started hitting the weights when i was like just Barely old enough to go to the gym. My parents were like okay. So how
0: old were you when you started lifting weights?
1: I think I was like twelve to thirteen years oh, old. So you got old. in early. Oh, super early. I was like, me and my brother would go to the gym after after school. Any any part of the year where I didn't have like soccer or something else going on after school, it was go to the gym and just you know hit the weights, machines, whatever. I didn't know what I was doing really, but I was lifting weights. <laughs> and at some point, uh, on this
0: journey, you get exposed to CrossFit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That came kind of shortly after college, which was, uh, you know, college, I also got a, a huge exposure to, to resistance training and strength and conditioning, you know, at, at division one schools, the teams get paired with a strength and conditioning coach. They get some education on lifting weights and i took to that um so then after college when a friend said come do this crossfit class with me i was like sure i'm all about it like what's what are we doing and we did like deadlifts and running or sprints i was like this is totally up my alley this is my speed i like this thing and that sort of uh transformed really the next like 12 years of my life for sure you you jumped right into competing in it pretty quickly yeah, it was, it was a short uh, – there was actually probably like a – from the day I took my first group fitness class in CrossFit to my first competition, there was actually like a two-and-a-half-year gap. I, I actually found CrossFit in my deferment year for my enrollment at Ohio State University for medical school. So I was like uh, – I got accepted, took a year um, to defer so I could travel, and I found CrossFit – And then I enrolled in medical school, did a year, a little over a year before I left, um, at which point I kind of really sunk my teeth into the CrossFit community and coaching and then competing. Well, I mean, I think of two and a half
0: years as a fairly quick transition from learning something to being like a professional competitor. It's interesting. (laughs) I've now met enough of you guys who are like super alpha CrossFit people and you seem to think of the transition as as being like a much more natural or much faster transition. There's something about
1: CrossFit and the people yeah. it attracts. Yeah, well, I think today the landscape <clears throat> today, as opposed to ten years ago when that ha- happened for me, is uh, very different. You know, somebody who just like wakes up on you know this week and says, "Oh, I'm going to go try CrossFit," and then try and make that type of you know uh, entrance into the sport is going to be like totally you know, thrown off and shocked by the, the level of competition, the professionalism of the sport these days, the amount of training hours that people put in. Whereas back when I did it, I mean, I kind of, you know, I, I got a few group classes in, I played around with sort of some online uh, crossfit.com training uh, at my university, you know, at the, at the Ohio state gym. And then when I showed up and was like doing class workouts again for about a month straight, I, in, I went to my first competition and I did pretty well. It's like that doesn't happen now for people. They don't just show up to group classes, and <laughs> after a month, you know they're going out and competing at a high level.
0: At what point did you decide, okay, I want to, I want to be able to be a coach? I mean, you said when we first started today, you think of yourself first as a coach, second as an athlete.
1: Yeah, I think it was, uh, it, it was, it was totally in line with. Hey, why did why do you want to go to medical school in the first place? I mean. So many admissions uh, essays and interviews that I did were based like around this concept of what's your, why are you interested in healthcare? And I was interested in healthcare for more of like the reason of I know we can make dramatic, profound changes in people's health through the stuff that we have access to any day of the week, which is quality food, hydration, sleep. Movement, just life, relationships, the things that we surround, what we do every day. Right. Um, and I was I was a little unclear as to how do you how do I make a career out of that? It was more like, well, I'll go to medical school because I had like family that were in medicine. I was I'd already put in my pre med years. I was very talented in sci- math and science. I had a great understanding for physiology, and I could talk to people about health. In a way that they could digest and understand, so I was like, okay, I'll go to medical school and I'll figure out a way to approach healthcare the way I want to do it—not in necessarily treating diseases of you know in the way that it's mostly done in the medical community. So that was kind of like, had somebody said, hey, you could be a, a fitness coach and you could do this for a living and you can help people and you can make an impact and you don't have to go to medical school to do that, I probably, will, probably would have done that. Yeah. Um, but that path was not really clear and it wasn't really paved uh, before me by too many people. And so, yeah, that's what, what I think ultimately drove me to being a coach was that once I got into medical school, once I felt myself headed down more of a, wow, this is like a, a system that churns out people that treat symptoms as opposed to help people fix chronic disease through what they do every day um, and I saw this growing community of CrossFit happening, which to me was like this massive amount of individuals that were showing up to talk about nutrition, work hard in the gym, like make positive improvements. I was like, okay, well, that seems like a community I want to be a part of. I want to get involved in that and see what, see what my talents and what my skills as an educator, as a healthcare enthusiast could do.
0: Well, you're smart. I mean, you're talking about preventative care really versus curative in a lot of ways. right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And that was I, it was funny. I, I, I talked about that a lot in my admissions essays and my interviews with um, medical schools and just the blank stares I would get from from people sitting across the table for me who were physicians and like on the admissions board. And that's uh, shocking, isn't it? Though. Yeah, it's really shocking. It was like, well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to like, you know? I was like, well. I don't, I don't have the answers yet, but don't you want to find out like what the answers are with me? Yeah. (laughs) She, I think there more people should be excited about the idea of taking what we already kind of know. And now we know it like with backed by tons of research, but we were starting to understand it, you know, in the early two thousands, like, you know, people are killing themselves by eating the wrong stuff and by not moving. And we can fix all this stuff and what we're doing in the hospitals, you could, Alleviate a tremendous amount of the strain on this economy and the healthcare system by just working a little bit of prevention or a little bit of just lifestyle improvement for people. And your coaching practice today, what does that entail? The coaching practice today is a combination of of really two different things, but predominantly it's individual. uh, We we call it individual design or individual coaching, uh, where clients that work with us both in person and virtually they become we, we basically become their their health and fitness guides so you know we do a, a comprehensive intake evaluation on them we understand we we really try and understand what the purpose that this client has in not just in their fitness but in their life and then we do the you know comprehensive fitness movement screen strength evaluation take all of that into into account and Construct a fitness plan for them that's very customized to their lifestyle. So, you know, busy working professional that has one hour, four days a week to train at this time of day. Okay, we help them set up a plan for in the gym, a plan for out of the gym, uh, talk about nutrition with them, what's going to fuel them the best so that they have the best energy, and then keep the stuff that they're doing for their exercise very appropriate for their skill level and what they want out of life. If they're like, Hey, I want to just feel strong, be able to have energy on the weekends with my kids and not have chronic back pain. Then we're not going to be doing Olympic lifts with them. We're not going to be doing high intensity, you know, puke your guts out sure. workouts. Cause that just doesn't fulfill their purpose. Um, So that's one side of our coaching business. And uh, then the other side of the coaching business for me is sort of being like a a thought leader and educator in the space of uh, something I've termed functional bodybuilding. Functional bodybuilding was sort of a way that I classified my training that I showcase on social media, the way I've approached blending the years that I had of being kind of a gym rat and doing bodybuilding, and then also my years of being a competitive fitness athlete, and seeing that you know what there's there's some ve- there's some value and some benefit to both worlds, and we don't have to be so polarized. You're either all into you know functional fitness, high intensity fitness, or you're in the you know gym doing bicep curls and uh, you know tricep extensions. Like they, they, they're not separate worlds. We can blend them together in a really fun and uh, sustainable training practice something that cuz cuz we certainly hear a lot of people getting burnt out from the high intensity fitness that they do and i got injured doing that or i did it for a couple of years but it was just kind of getting too hard on my joints and i didn't i didn't like it anymore um so finding something that's like a hybrid in the middle and i got kind of known for functional bodybuilding as like a training practice and now i put out online training programs and uh, course content that allows people to understand how to use it for themselves better, and that's been you know one of the more exciting parts of the last couple of years for me is is having a, a real global impact with that um,
0: yeah you've got a large following, and I think a lot of the content you put out into the world is really positive. I want to clarify on something you said there, so when you say functional bodybuilding you're in essence you're saying that also there's some elements of you know traditional bodybuilding that aren't functional right like y- y- like when i see someone who's on the cover of one of these magazines and it sort of looks almost a little unnatural right what's happening to someone's body when they put themselves to that level of stress put on that level of muscle are there certain inefficiencies that that take place
1: yeah i mean the word function and functional is something i you know can get debated a lot and i think that really unless you talk about a one person and one per, and define one person's functionality you really don't have an answer it's like everybody's function depends on what they do in their life so somebody who's a bodybuilder competitively and at a high level in the sport and making money off of that then you know they're fu- they don't really ha- i mean they're they don't really have function outside of that bodybuilding spectrum you know they need to be big Massive, tons of lean tissue, really lean, uh, be able to step on stage and look good and win. Um, but for, I think what you're asking, which is like if you are just in pursuit of hypertrophy, taking your muscle cells and growing them bigger, yeah, um, and you pack on a lot of lean muscle mass to a frame, there are things that you will start to not be able to do very well. You know, uh, like what? Like uh, cardiorespiratory fitness will potentially diminish uh, a certain amount. I mean, just carrying more mass on a frame is difficult. Yeah, you know, if you're, I mean, that's obvious. Yeah, if you have your skeleton is <clears throat> only as big as it is. I mean, those massive you know, bodybuilders, you take an x-ray of them, their skeleton looks just like yours and mine. They just have three times the amount of body weight or two times the amount of body now, weight. Now, this might
0: it. not be true, but I actually read that as you put on more muscle or even more weight, just generally, it can make your bones
1: denser. It can make your bones denser. Absolutely. I mean, resistance training in general can make your bones denser. whether yeah. you're. That's one you of know, the
0: reasons why it's better yeah, to do I mean, it if as you get
1: older. If right? you're a 60 to 70 year old woman who's potentially going to experience you know lean muscle mass loss and osteoporosis and you start lifting weights it can help your bone density uh but you know what I, my, my point of the x-ray you know comment was like you know you see these really wide frames like this guy weighs 300 pounds is solid muscle his shoulders you know are three times the width of yours you would assume <laughs> his bones are three times the width of yours yeah, but they're, they're not, not you know so it's just uh and then anybody who and this goes for anybody that's over fat, you know, or high body fat or uh, obese, Um, you know, moving around that much, much extra body weight is cumbersome. It's, uh, you know, it, it makes it harder to just move in life, especially in a world that's, you know, we're set up for big individuals, but you find yourself being big and getting into small spaces. I mean, you know, a big bodybuilder sitting on a plane and coach doesn't. You know, isn't That's not loving go life super well? No, <laughs> I'm not super soaked on that. <laughs> okay, well, I want to talk
0: about your. Uh, I, like, I want to talk about it in the life of Marcus because, obviously, you're super fit, and I'm sure our audience would love to understand all the little tricks and tips that you have throughout the day. So, yeah, um, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do?
1: Um typically it's at this right now it's feeding my daughter. So <laughs> we have a so three things month have old shifted. Recently. Yeah, they have, but no, first thing in the morning I am, um, I'm going and having tea or coffee and, um, starting my day with sort of a, you know, just like a quiet reflection or a, like a stretch or something that just like allows me to just sort of chill and, you know, drink a, a warm, hot bre- beverage that, that to me is always like super calming and a great way to start my day. And then oftentimes that just, Segues into me getting into the hot tub. We have a hot tub at our house and I soak. Oh, great. I soak for like twenty minutes. You'll start with a hot tub in the morning. That's how I like to do it. I, I like to soak and then I go immediately for a, a really cold shower. Oh, and then, this is good. Yeah. So I've gotten
0: super into cold showers recently. Okay, how great. long how long you've been doing cold showers?
1: Uh probably just over I mean just I just over a decade. <laughs> I a couple of years, but I I stopped for like three months with our first daughter, uh, just because the sleep deprivation was it really took a toll on me, and like the thought of getting in cold water yeah. was just too too much for me. Kind of, <clears throat> and this time around, I stayed committed to cold showers despite sleep deprivation. So tell me, what is your uh, cold shower practice? Uh, simply, I mean, it's after after I soak in the hot tub, I just. I'm in the shower, it's on cold and I don't, I mean, I don't start it warm or anything like that. I just start freezing cold and, uh, I stay in there probably anywhere from two to five minutes depending so that's on. That's pretty long. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, it's enough time for me to, you know, soap and lather my body and, uh, and then I kind of hang in the water a little bit longer and, until I kind of start to feel like, okay, getting a little bit of a chill. And that's when I stop.
0: Now, after you work out, or and we'll go through the day,
1: but after you work out, will you take cold showers as well? We have a shower at the gym, and um, certainly in the months where it's like warmer, and I'm I have I'm sweating, like I feel like I need to shower afterwards, and I always do those cold as well. Um, but yeah, it's I don't I don't always make a point to shower after training. Okay, and
0: it sounds though like most of your showers are now cold, or they end cold.
1: Yeah, they are all cold. I don't. I, periodically, I have to like convince my daughter to like take a shower with me because she needs to be bathed. and yeah. So I don't put it on cold when she's in there. <laughs> She'd probably <laughs> She'll flip be a out. Little more forgiving. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but that's yeah, just just cold these days. And what do you think are the benefits of cold showers? Well, I, I mean, I I I notice, I can't speak to like the immune system benefits. Um, and the nervous system benefits that I know guys like Wim Hof and many other yeah, right. people out there. have. I started spoken.
0: reading Wim Hof, and that's what got me interested in it.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I listened to his podcast with Joe Rogan a couple of years ago, and that just totally hooked me. I was like, this yeah, guy Yeah, you
0: have to at least look into it.
1: Totally. I mean you can't ignore this guy, what he's been able to accomplish, plus the scientific research that he's backed himself with, and now this yeah, global community. Yeah, it's, it's totally, totally legit. legit. Um, but I – I absolutely feel like an energetic boost immediately after I get out. So do I. I mean, totally. It's, it's actually at this point, I wouldn't say it's like uncomfortable anymore. Like, you know, there's always that first, like five to 10 seconds. That's a little bit unpleasant, unpleasant. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as I'm out and I've dried off, I'm like, Oh, I feel, I feel great. Like I, I can almost just, I can feel like the, my circulation is just kind of better. And, um, I don't know it, it definitely is a much better and faster start to the day than starting with something really, really hot. So if I finished my hot tub and I just like went on with my day, I think I'd feel groggy and a little bit slow. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to the hot tub
0: element of it, but for me, just, I I now exclusively end with cold showers and I'll often start warm and then I'll try to go cold for, I probably go cold for about two minutes, but in yeah. Boston, when you go full blast cold, oh, that's different. Than it's a California. pretty special cold. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, I mean, the first thing I noticed just in doing it is how much better my mood was mm-hmm. immediately getting out of the shower. And I feel like it, there's like a 30 minute, you know, maybe mood benefit just exclusively yeah. where you're just floating a little bit. Uh, The other thing that I've noticed is my immune system feels stronger. Mm -hmm. And I also seem less concerned with the temperature outside.
1: Oh, that's – yeah. I could see that for sure.
0: And I've sort of – I've just been paying a lot of attention to this because I, you know, looked at the Wim Hof stuff. And, you know, from my background, I like to experiment with things. Of course. So – you know i f- I feel like it used to be if I went outside in Boston and Boston's weather's weird for the record. Anyone listening to this from Boston knows what I'm talking about. Some days it'll just be freezing cold, and then every once in a while it'll be like a little bit warmer than you were expecting, or even in the spring all of a sudden it gets really cold again, mm-hmm. and so it's just you're inevitably gonna have sort of the wrong outfit one day, yeah, <laughs> and uh. And then on top of that, I travel a lot. So if you're going from like East Coast to West Coast to East Coast, it's just inevitable you're going to have sort of the wrong outfits at moments. And for me, uh, ever since I started doing cold showers, it sort of like didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And again, it's hard to know whether that's a placebo or not. But my gut is it's not. It's just that my body is more comfortable with different temperatures.
1: Yeah. Well, I know that when I began the cold shower stuff and I was really consuming a lot of Wim Hof material, I started to just look at cold weather differently. Cause I think when you're talking about like having the wrong outfit on, yeah, it's more about true. like being unprepared and cold. Cause like you yeah. can always shed layers when you're in hot, but being unprepared when you're in cold, that's when people get uncomfortable. That's when I would get uncomfortable. But now I, I'm like, sort it's of cold. I'm like, it's cold. This is good. I'm not going to freeze to death here. Like I'm I'm always like two, two steps away from some place warm where I can go and yeah. you know get bundled yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so i I do recall like in that first, you know, the first phase of me doing my cold showers, I was also getting to the gym early, you know, it'd be 7am and it was pretty cold outside and I'm like working out in the freezing cold with my shirt off. Cause I'm like, right. yeah, this is good for me. Right, I'm like, <laughs> just embr- I'm embracing the cold, right. um, yeah, so having just the different – that mental shift I think also adds to sort of the indifference like, yeah, it's cold, whatever.
0: OK, so you, you start with um, the hot bath and – excuse me, the hot tub and then cold shower uh, and then where do you go from there?
1: Then it's uh, starting to prepare food for the day. So making breakfast for myself and the family, um, making sure all my meals are prepared. And you'll make your meals for the whole day or for um – Usually most the food. meals are all ready to go for most of the week. Everything's oh, okay. prepped on Sunday, and that usually gets us all the way till about Thursday. At which point we have to cook a little bit more to get through the rest of the week. Um, and describe what you're preparing. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. You know, my my whole family is pretty much on the same plan. Me and my wife, and then you know our daughter. She has some things that she kind of prefers, but we generally pr- prepare a you know s- several pounds of meat on the on a sunday grilling it slow cooking it roasting it whatever um, we prepare a whole bunch of vegetables that we kind of just slightly undercook so that when we like reheat them for the meals they're That's perfect yeah. and then um, you know for my training and for my wife's training we prepare you know some starch a potato or rice something like that that goes in those meals that kind of follow immediately after we train and then that's kind of our, that's our meal prep for the week. And then those just get divvied up into, you know, glass containers. We're big on using glass containers and not plastic. And, um, and then I'll take two or three of those with me each day to the, to the gym, to work. Um, my breakfast, I cook hot every morning. That's something that, you know, has been nice, like I used to just eat breakfast alone because my my wife would wake up later. But now with the kids, like we're all kind of waking up at the same time. So we get to to kind of breakfast together, which I think is... What do you eat for breakfast? um, It's usually some, you know, it's some some meat and a couple eggs and then a bunch of vegetables and, you know, uh, coffee or tea with, you know, butter and MCT oils in it. So I'm kind of protein and fat heavy in the morning right now. um, As my training has been like kind of, Lower than normal. I'm not doing these like super high intensity, high volume training days like I was maybe um, six months ago before the baby. So I don't, I'm not really requiring as many carbohydrates in my training. So I used to have oatmeal every morning with all right. that, but just kind of cut that That's out.
0: It's a good point. You often have to tie uh, or you, you have to qualify what someone's diet is alongside what their goals are,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So
0: for you right now in life, what's, what are your goals physically or from um, a performance standpoint?
1: yeah from performance standpoint i i still love the uh the sport of of fitness so crossfit and and all different you know competitive outlets that are there i still look at those movements becoming a uh more refined in the ability to do that type of you know fitness at a high level Um, but i don't I don't have like all the physical resources or the time resources to dedicate to doing it at the highest level. So what I do is I'm like, okay, well, within my ninety minutes that I have, at almost you know, five days a week, I'm going to you know continue to try and stay uh, as refined as I can in the movements of fitness. Um, continue to experiment and explore functional bodybuilding. So this blend of both, and you know, I want to I want to feel healthy in the way that like, I don't have injuries. I don't have nagging pains like competitive athletes in the sport of fitness crossfitters. Yeah. They're all, they always have something that's hurting. Right. right. And that's, you just accept that that's part of being a competitor. I don't really want to accept that that's part of being a dad and a business owner <laughs> and someone right. just wants to, you know, enjoy training right now. When I get back to competitive sport, if that happens for me in the future, which I hope it does, you know, I'll I'll accept a little bit more of that aches and pains, but right now it's like I'm not going to push myself that extra bit uh, to because it's just not worth it for me
0: right now. So right now it sounds like you've got more of the mindset of an executive and a father than necessarily a full blown competitor. Now obviously you're on the spectrum of being so fit that your daily workouts and whatnot probably seem extreme to the average executive, but.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I it's 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 all relative, yeah, right? It's all relative. Um but yeah, I'm definitely more in the mindset of uh I want to be um I want to continue to run this a successful business um and I want to be able to show up for my family, but I don't want to lose touch with like the part of me that loves to be an athlete too, cuz that's that's sort of central to me being to my to my business and to my life and as a father, it's like If I lose that identity, then I don't feel like I'm going to be as effective in the other areas. Yeah. That makes
0: sense. So at this point in in your day, if we go back to your day, you've now had
1: breakfast with your family. Yeah. Now,
0: will will you have checked your whoop data at this point, like sleep and recovery?
1: Yeah. No, it'll, it'll have been checked. You know, as soon as it shows up on my phone, (laughs) that's like, I just go and, um, usually just evaluate kind of my, my sleep, uh, patterns. And, uh, my recovery score, um, I think I'm, you know, most days I could pretty much tell you like, okay, I think this is where I'm going to end up. And I'm usually, you know, most of the time pretty close. Yeah. Uh, Periodically I'll have some days where I'm like, oh, I feel, I think I'm feeling pretty good today and, and it'll spit out something that's a little less recovered than I, I think. Um, and so what will you do on those days? Well, because again, I'm, I'm not. Being as you know, my training is not as uh, aggressive as it was, and I'm not as. You're inter- more
0: focused on being optimal. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I will go. I will continue to train. Like even if I show up and I'm in the red, yeah. Um, I'll go into the gym and I'll still train, uh, but I'll just use that as kind of a cue for myself to dial it back. Dial it back, and that's and usually I dial things back in the way of just perceived effort and intent within parts of the training. So it's like I was going to do front squats and I wanted to do, you know, four sets of heavy squats for three reps, but I was red today. So I'm just going to do my sets of three at a moderate weight and just focus on quality positions and think about this as like a, it's definitely thinking more in the, the long longevity, long game piece of it, which has now become sort of the message, my key core message that I teach on my social media platform and with our clients and with my coaches, it's like most of our clients for the vast majority, unless they're competitors that want to be successful this year or in the next couple of years, this is a long game and you win by being consistent. And if you are, so important, if you are, yeah, if you come in today and you're in the red and you get the work done at 50 to 60% effort, it's going to set you up for a better day tomorrow. It's going to set you up for, and then so in the course of three months, <clears throat> how many days were you successfully doing movement? Uh, well, I was 100 percent successful because I listened to my body and on the days where I shouldn't have pushed it, I didn't push it versus the person who's like, "Oh, I'm going to push it today anyway. I got I to gotta get to my goals faster and then they get a tweak or they set themselves back and then they can't train for 10 days. You know, The person that listened and went a little bit lighter wins big time in the, in the long run.
0: Well, what you described is, uh, in part, what makes me so proud of Whoop is just the fact that you're able to now understand things that you otherwise might not be able to feel, right, and which are these sort of secrets that your body's trying to tell you. And by harnessing that data, you now have another perspective on what you should do. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, previously, the animal inside would have just forced you maybe to do that hard workout and not to do 60% because you know, you've got the, you've got the mindset and the ability to push through. It's just that it might be the wrong day to push through.
1: Yeah. I would be really curious to have this tool now when I was like at my peak and see, okay, well, how hard is it to kind of detach, you know, the ego and the, and that mental kind of uh, pressure that you place upon yourself to constantly be pushing, you know, those levels and. I think that that's a that's a challenge for a lot of uh, athletes within CrossFit, where the season is not so linear and mapped out correctly. It's like it's very chaotic. It's like I'm going to compete this weekend. I'm going to compete in four weekends from now, and then I'm going to compete three months later. And there's no like very clear periodization for most people that compete. Yeah, yeah maybe for the games athletes that are making it to the you know they, the high they have stage right, but uh, whereas in a in other sports. You know there's a very defined season and so if it's off-season time you know you should be really paying attention to that you know your 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 data and you should be tracking it very closely and there's no point in pushing anything close to you know red when you're seven months out from your season right but if you're two weeks away from playoffs and you know you're in the season and you're going for it and it's like yeah you're going to be fatigued like probably a lot of athletes that are in the you know, the playoffs for NBA, right? Yeah, totally, totally. It's totally. like they're... We
0: work with NBA players there. Totally yeah,
1: they're the they're the under-recovered and it's like, yeah, but it's <clears throat> game five and you got to go.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing I also tell people about Whoop is that it's not the end of the world to be red, right? No. Like you can still exercise, you can still perform. It's just all things being equal. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have to put a maximal exertion on your body, you'd rather be green. Totally, yeah. From uh, from the, the standpoint of uh, a day in the life, uh, so after breakfast, you're off to the gym.
1: Off to the gym. Drop the, uh, my daughter at daycare, and then once I arrive at the gym, um, I typically spend the first few hours doing some, you know, some form of work, which is either writing programs for clients, doing consultations, or uh, on on the computer or in person with clients, um, meeting with my coaches, so I can support them in their continued growth and. Um, And then or writing, you know, content for uh, social media and things like that before I get into my own training, which usually happens, you know, closer to like 10 or 11 a.m.
0: Will you work directly with clients or are you
1: mostly training the coaches who are training the clients? For the most part, I'm training the coaches who are training the clients. I still carry, you know, a a group of individual clients myself, which I really still, you know, value that uh, coach-client relationship. I value being, uh, in the trenches, so to speak as, as my, cl- you know, I'm, I'm here to try and mentor and support my coaches to be better professionals by still having a connection to that myself with clients is really valuable. Um, I still spend some time on the floor coaching one-to-one, you know, and, uh, or not one-to-one, but doing kind of like in our business model, it's, uh, you know, floor coaching entails me being on the floor and monitoring all the individual clients that come into the gym and are doing their own thing. So we, we, this morning, for example, from eight 30 to 11, I was the floor coach and we had about 15 clients come into the gym, each one with a very custom tailored plan by their coach. And then they're sort of doing their own, they're sort of putting, putting themselves through their own workouts. Um, and I'm there to sort of support them and make sure that everyone's moving well and giving them coaching cues and know creating community and all that so it's
0: for someone listening to this who has a trainer or is thinking about getting a trainer like what's a good way to identify a trainer who's who's right
1: for you um or even just someone who's who's good at their job yeah i i think the number one thing is uh somebody who can first listen really well to you and then basically have good communication skills i mean the the other stuff is uh the training knowledge, I mean, that's – yeah, you're going to find tons of different degrees of that. You're going to find people that are super you know, smart, uh, tons tons of book smarts. They know every training concept out there. But that falls short of creating success with clients if they can't listen to what you want and or listen to your needs and communicate with you effectively. So I always say that that's kind of the place to begin. It's like do you have a good feeling about this person? Did you get a good vibe from them when you spoke to them? did they ask you more questions than they told, like then they were just talking about themselves. Like that's key. Yeah. It's like if someone sits down with you to do an initial consultation and the coach spends 90% of the time talking, I would just go find someone else. Like you should be doing 90% of the talking. They should be doing 10% of the talking because right. they should be really wanting to know like, what do you need? What does this person need from you? Um, and then also just thinking about, you know, we're, We're really pushing this new model of fitness uh, because this individual coaching model versus personal training, because I just believe it it really has – there's so many aspects of it that make it more sustainable and more uh, valuable for the client. Explain
0: that distinction.
1: Yeah. So personal training is you and I go into the gym. And we book an hour session, and I coach you through a workout. And I I don't want to say, like, I hold your hand, but I'm there every step of the way to make sure that you're doing – and you're just more or less listening to me. And most of those relationships turn into that where it's like, coach, tell me what to do. And uh, and then the individual coaching uh, side is we sit down. We have a consultation. I do a, person, a physical assessment on you, and then I write you a plan, which you go and execute on your own, and then we touch base you know, weekly, monthly to check in how things are, are going. And in a perfect world, you go and execute that on your own in a space where you have some trained eyes on you that can give right. you in-the-moment feedback. And the difference <clears throat> is that one relationship, the personal training relationship, fosters more of a... Um, you know, it turns into somewhat of babysitting. I don't. I hate to use these words because it sounds so demeaning to the to the profession. But it's just with clients that are reliant on you as a coach to do anything successful in fitness, versus individual coaching where we teach our clients over time how to be autonomous with their fitness and health and fitness. They make good decisions. They know what they're doing when they go into the gym. They have tools, and uh, somebody long term who's in that path is going to have a heck of a lot more success because, you know, personal training relationships oftentimes end for some reason. And it's like, when that relationship ends, what is that person left with? Do they have a way to navigate them, you know, their lives without their coach? Um, and then there's the, uh, you know, the, the fact that personal training for most people is not affordable for the frequency by which they need to move. Yeah, people need to move all the time. They need to move every day. Yeah, right. You know, they they need to do some focused training, probably three to four days a week. But they need to move. So there's not a lot of people. I think that can afford you know, a small percentage of people that can afford three to four times a week of personal training, but they can afford having a coach that develops a plan for them that lets them go and train three to four times a week. Well,
0: that piece i think is really smart the piece that you said about you know the fact that people need to move every day in order to, and and if you have any real fitness goals you can't just do something one hour once a week that's right? totally right so <laughs> yeah like the idea of um you
1: know it's teaching someone how to fish versus giving them a fish right isn't precisely that, I mean, yeah that's a lot of it like, i want to lose 20 pounds and i'm gonna hire a personal trainer to help me it's like okay well so you're gonna work out four hours this month and then <laughs> you know and like that's your plan yeah. um And yeah, I mean, and I don't want to say that that never works for people because there's plenty of people that are making great progress with personal trainers. It's just where I just want to see where they're going to be at in two years, and four years, and six years. You know, further time points out.
0: Yeah, I think I actually personally fit into the category of someone who is totally fine going into a gym and just having my trainer. I've now worked with my trainer for like two, maybe two and a half years. Yeah. And he you know, knows my body really well. And he'll just you know, tell me what the plan is for that day. And maybe yeah. we'll have a quick check-in. He'll look at my recovery before I sh- show up, my recovery and whoop. And the reason that works is because I also do like four or five other things throughout the week that actually aren't always weightlifting related. Yeah. So it's filling in a gap that otherwise I would have in my, you know, personal workout schedule because I play a lot of squash still and I'm yeah. in the soccer league and whatever I run. Da, 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 da. So, uh for me it almost works, but like I'm just thinking back to if I didn't have these other activities, like what you're describing would be so valuable.
1: Yeah, when uh, so uh, then I would categorize you as somebody who has like you know you you have like health and fitness sort of uh, you know fundamentals in place like you, yeah. you you're active you're motivated you are engaged in sport you move and now you want to go get specific coaching in weight training and resistance training then you know that that's a different that's a different situation than somebody who comes in who has nothing it's kind of like i'm sort of a health and fitness beginner yeah. and i want help and they don't have a way of putting together the the whole plan, and you know the the personal trainer is totally focused and attentive and gives them a hundred percent for fifty minutes to sixty minutes, and then when they leave, they don't necessarily have a bridge that gets them back to next Monday when they come in for session number two.
0: Yeah, and I'm actually shocked by how little um, big gy- gyms seem like worried about this. Like to to me. I think that if you just look at what's happening right now in the fitness market, there's a bit of a digital revolution where gyms are going to, over time, I think, get replaced by artificial intelligence and all sorts of different forms of communication directly with an individual. Because if you're not building that, um, you know, that life coach that you just described, that you obviously work with your clients on, um, they're going to find it elsewhere. Yeah. And it's not enough to have a one hour a week or God forbid one hour a month touch point with your client. If your business, and again I'm speaking from the point of view of like gym chains, yeah. If your business is in the you know is in the uh, revenue business of having people keep coming back every month,
1: yeah. You no, know? it's it's uh, I don't know, but at the same time, it's like th- there's been some there's been some things that are broken in that. Gym model for a lot of years, yet they're still they're still out there, and people are still showing up and or paying, you know, membership fees. Well, I and, think
0: paying and showing up are sort of two separate things. Oh, completely. Right? Yeah. Like I think that the magic of any um, gym membership or any membership in general is that there's a long, an extended period of which a gym is probably making money that they're not really delivering value for. Yeah. You know. Uh, but I just mean in terms of like creating real value add. Oh, of course. You yeah. look at what a business like Peloton has been able to do, right? Where they've just put a bike in your home and brought the cycling class into your home. Yeah. If I'm running Equinox or something, I look at that and I say to myself, like, this is a real threat. Oh, completely. Yeah. That... You know, because that scales, by the way. That's not
1: just a bike. Sure. That can be a lot of different things. It already has become other things. Yeah. And you got... see these products like Mirror and Tonal and, you know, yeah. going down the line. Yeah, definitely. I think that it does come back to that, um, that coach client relationship or, or somebody who's really, you know, a support to you that I think we have found is really what our business is. Like we're, we're not necessarily writing fitness programs. We're developing relationships with clients and supporting them with, you know, a training plan that goes with that. But feeling like they're connected to somebody who's actually caring for them and looking over what they're doing, totally. and, you know, cares about what, what's happening to them outside the gym too. And, uh, and really somebody who can look at all the different aspects of their life. So sort of like, uh, this, you know, holistic coach that says, well, what, you know, how did you sleep tonight? And, uh, what, what, what are the relationships that are going on in your life? And yeah. Where are you feeling stress in that world? And what's, what's happening at work? And, you know what's happening with your family and what did you eat today and all of that being those are inputs into what actually gets spit out in the in the workout calendar
0: well physical locations have an advantage over digital experience in that they can really foster like a very genuine feeling of community like i think community is one thing that every gym must be super focused on like and it's one thing that's impressed me about crossfit the community around crossfit is very cultish and it's very closed arms like you know people want to be there they want to be sweating together it feels like there's a great camaraderie around it
1: yeah would you agree with that yeah absolutely i mean you don't see that kind of community in big box gyms no you don't that's yeah. my
0: point yeah
1: these yeah. uh and that's something that i you know i, I formerly owned. A CrossFit gym. and um, that was one of the most powerful things that I you know I learned from that experience was really just how impactful that community feel could be. Now, the model by which the fitness was delivered and the type of training in the halos hey, give uh, one size fits all to this whole group, it stopped resonating with me as much over the years, and you know, kind of developing a model where there was this individualized approach felt important but i was like how do i do that without losing that community aspect and so we sort of have been we found that you know essentially with with what we're doing now with clients that come in and we're doing big group classes yeah. essentially with yeah, people yeah, yeah. that all do their own it's their great. own thing and, i
0: mean obviously all the stuff you're doing is totally in line with what i'm talking about
1: yeah although we do have an online community which is something that we're you know it you're right there's some there's definitely something different about Developing a an on site physical community where you can have people in the same room together versus being online and saying, "Oh, I'm part of Revival Strength Global." I work with, but social media has helped a lot with that, um, and just strong branding and, and a strong consistent message amongst everybody, where people are now they wanting to share what they do online. Totally, it's like, "Hey, I'm part of Revival Strength." and I did my revival strength workout with Coach Brianna today. Yeah. You know, but they're in Panama and right, they're posting right, right. about this. Um, so it it does it can it can grow that way. Uh, it's just you're right. It's it's slightly different.
0: So let's talk about uh, how you think about uh, social media. You've got a big following. A lot of people turn to you for fitness insight. You know, how do you think about using platforms like Instagram and and uh, you know and again delivering a lot of this value that you give to. Uh, individuals who walk into your gym giving that to now the masses
1: yeah it's it's been a really interesting uh growth and journey for me with seeing how it's become really central to my business and to my you know my brand platform um i think i i signed up for instagram in 2013 and you know i was like oh you know there's one more thing I got to add to the list. I was like very heavily on Facebook at the time and Instagram was something I just didn't pay much mind to. Um, but certainly it has grown, you know, to be this sort of number one platform. Juggernaut. For, yeah. And in particular for fitness, right? Where it's like, people totally. just want to consume videos of exercise. Yeah, totally. Um, but I, I kind of got my start in writing about fitness and posting videos, before Instagram through just a personal blog that I wrote in the, you know, 2011, 2012 range, which didn't have nearly the audience I have now, but it was sort of me honing in on a voice, which was, this is my personal fitness journey. This is what insights I'm getting from my own training and competitive, uh, experiences, and this is also how you guys out there listening or watching can use this for yourself. Not like you need to do my workout, but this is the point of the workout. Maybe you can learn something from this. So I started doing that. And then when I realized that I could just make this transition to Instagram and post that in the same way, just a lot easier than putting a WordPress you know blog together, um, it was very natural for me. And then that sort of was my guiding light for many years was like, I just want to get content up on social media. It helps me process my own fitness, uh, journey. What am I learning about myself? What am I learning about this? And always trying to use my athletic pursuits to heighten my, uh, skills as a coach and to elevate my role as a coach and an educator. Uh, so that continues to be something I really try and strive to do with social media, with Instagram in particular. Um, and it's, it's kind of been, you know, the last six to 12 months, there's been a little bit of a shift where I also realize, okay, I've built up this big platform and I have a lot of people that have eyes on what I'm doing. And I'm continuing to give away a lot of great free content because I really still care to do that. And it's an opportunity to like promote things that, are within my business to sell, sure. you know? So how do you strike a balance between that? Because I just, I, as much as I want to just be able to wake up each day and go into the gym and write content for free for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, I want also, and I also need to, you know, uh, create a, a healthy business that makes revenue and sure pays everybody. Um, so that's always kind of like the, the part that is, a challenge to like strike that balance. What's the right amount of of you know, continue to do this the stuff that feels really good and authentic and then the stuff that also feels like okay this is important to show people how they can actually take the next step within our business to uh you know receive services from us or buy some of our training programs. I mean that's one balance. I imagine another balance
0: too is how I mean, you as someone who's very health conscious and probably who's focused on sleep and recovery, which we'll talk about maybe a little bit later, like how you balance using your cell phone. Even oh, just geez. in your daily life, right? Yeah. Because every time you open that app, there's going to be all kinds of dopamine hits and rushes, and yeah, and you know, you could get caught up in the flywheel of followers or anything else. Like, how do you balance that? Because, sure, it's for you. It's actually tied directly to your business. The bigger your online profile, the more you could justify that you're, you know, maybe your business is succeed, succeeding, or yeah. the more seriously people will take you. Uh, but at the same time, you know that's obviously pulling you away from your real life, pulling you away from your family, pulling yeah. away from your clients, you know, who are in your office. So how do you balance that? And do you think you're good at it too?
1: I don't know that I'm. I wouldn't. I'm not ready to say I'm good at it. What yeah. I'm, what I am, very confident to say is that I am keenly aware of how big an impact it has in our lives and in my life in particular. Uh, about. I'd say right around the beginning of 2017, I sort of had this, like, catapult in Instagram, uh, uh, I don't know, stardom or whatever. Awareness. Awareness, right? Just a lot of growth in my social media channel for about a year and a half was, like, aggressive growth, right? And um, with each little bit of growth – with each bit of dopamine hit that I was getting from seeing the followers go up, I was pouring more energy into it. And I was just like, I was glued to it. And, um, it was also, we were experiencing some success, you know, business wise revenue from online sales. Um, and I just was like, I was in that flywheel hardcore and my wife and I, you know, I'd get some pushback from my wife and she was just like, Hey, you're you're kind of on that thing all the time, and I'm like, but it's so essential to like what we're doing right now. Like, totally. I can't get yeah. away from it, and um, and there wasn't like I wasn't at a place where I was like, this is bad for me. I was just like, I got to keep doing it. I want to keep doing it. I was totally engaged. You know, fast forward twelve to eighteen months, and I was kind of like, wow, I'm getting I'm getting pretty burned out on this, and my responsibilities and other aspects of life are going up too. Like my business responsibilities. Not social media related are increasing my family responsibilities, my uh, you know my responsibilities to my other coaches that work for me. So now it was like <laughs> this thing that was there, and I I didn't I almost didn't know what to do about you know how do I separate myself without jeopardizing the health of the business, without you know uh, losing trust with the followers because I'm not putting as much energy into it, um, and then also just reclaiming some of my own just like freedom, freedom from technology or freedom from, from that, you know, feeling of like, I got to track the, you know, what's happening with the, with the likes and the followers and the comments and so forth. Um, and it, uh, I think I'm kind of, I kind of have been swinging the other direction where it's like, okay, I'm going to try and pull back a bit and see what, what that looks like and how that impacts my life, my personal life and my professional life. Um, because it had kind of gotten a little bit out of control and there's just a limit to how many hours in the day I have to be, you know, totally answering messages and, you know, writing new content. Um, so it's, it's definitely a, a, a puzzle that will continue to have to be, you <laughs> know, worked on piece by piece for, for some time. I think as long as it's out there and as long as it's, you know, uh, the, the, the biggest tool to communicate to the worldwide audience that I have. What's your advice to someone
0: who's actually on the early end of that flywheel and saying to himself or herself, like, okay, I'm trying to start something. I want people to know about me or, you know, some kind of an entrepreneur or whatever. And they want to build a following and they want to build a voice. Like, what do you say to that person? That's advice.
1: Yeah. Because um, you did it. I mean. True. You, yeah. I would, I, I don't think that, I think you have to put in that kind of time to, to, to generate that following.
0: Yeah. You get in or you get out.
1: Yeah. Um, but I also think that it's important if you're trying to create a message, it's like, are there other ways that you're outside of social media? Once you pull people into what you're about, you know, how are you, are you creating other ways to speak to, to the audience that are not just social media posts? Um, you know, do you have a, an email list where you actually communicate directly with you know, subscribers and totally. provide them a different type of content, different level of content. Um, and yeah, or podcast or, you know, other channels. Um, because with, with Instagram, like any day they could just change the algorithm or change something about <laughs> it. And it's like, you know, I've, I've, or done even with,
0: Instagram itself. I mean, yeah,
1: you were on Facebook before Instagram
0: and totally before that, you know, maybe people were on Twitter. Like,
1: yeah, it what's can, the next one? it can totally change fast. And, um, yeah, we, we if you if you have all your eggs in that one basket, and it's this thing that's kind of constantly changing, and you don't really have insight or access to like what's really happening with it, uh, it's just a, it's kind of a scary world to be a part of. Right. So, all right, shifting back to a more positive
0: note, you're you're in the gym, um, you're doing personal workouts. Um, how for, how for you? This is something that I always find interesting. Like as someone who you know it seems like from me, my standpoint you're someone who's like just always been really fit but how do you evaluate okay I'm a little fitter now than I was yesterday or a year ago or like what are certain tests that you might have in your life that sort of help you evaluate that is it as simple as like you know uh, your maxes and weights are there certain tests that you'll actually do mm-hmm. um, how do you think about that or or do you not think about it that's another way to look at it
1: uh no i definitely think about it i think (laughs) i think spending enough time in the uh competitive fitness world it's just a constant measurement of fitness we have benchmarks within the sport that let us know if we're uh, improving in different disciplines different different disciplines like weightlifting or gymnastics or cardiorespiratory you know fitness um there are certainly benchmarks that i can put myself through that will let me know okay i'm my numbers are going up in a particular lift or my numbers are going up in a particular, uh, type of gymnastics movement. And those I try not to attach too much to now because I, I do believe that to a certain extent I've hit my physiological maxes, you know, uh, just given my age at 34, coming up on 35 and, um, not training to the level I did three or four years ago. I just don't foresee myself like hitting big personal records, uh, going forward. So,
0: so now you're reframing a little bit of what those goals are.
1: Yeah. Reframing what the goals are, what the, what the numbers I want to be. Um, but something that does it's, and this is more of like a, you know, a, a personal, like a subjective, uh, measurement. It's, how well am I recovering from training and not necessarily just with like scores on my whoop, but like, you know, how much, how much work did I do on a given day? And then how well did I, how did I, how did I feel afterwards? And how did I feel the next day ready to come in and do more of the same, you know, type of training? That's
0: literally one of the best
1: measurements of fitness. Yeah. It's just how, how well you can bounce back and what yeah, your how, body can how
0: fast it. can you recover from something strenuous? Exactly.
1: So that, that's more of like, and that I can feel because I'm just uh, very aware of my body from day to day. And, you know, so much of my life is rhythmic where, I mean, everyone's lives, we are rhythmic animals, but I, I have, you know, pretty scheduled days where, and, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, have a very similar look and feel to them. Saturdays and Sundays, similar look and feel. So from Monday to Monday, after doing a similar training session, i can say okay yeah this i feel different than last monday and coming into tuesday wow i'm waking up a little bit more chipper on tuesday than i did last tuesday and okay after three hard days of training you know it's thursday okay this week i'm actually i could come into the gym and do something i'm feeling like doing something so that's how i can start to feel and notice that and and with training journals and writing down comments and notes i can look back over the course of several weeks and be like oh look at i was kind of feeling a little bit better ready to attack what do you write in more. your training journal um i mean everything from results within you know elements of my training from the weights that i use the times that i got so but also you'll
0: benchmark everything that you did that day yeah
1: yeah or and just, do you write this down or does someone else write it down while you're doing it i'm writing it down just um you know i all my workouts are on an app on my phone that uh okay that so comes, it's an
0: app not a yeah not like a journal
1: yeah, um, and then I put you know comments. You know, what app do you use? It's called True Coach. True Coach. Yeah, yeah True Coach. And then I have a coach, or you know, I, I mean, I'm actually in between coaches, but you know, I, I typically always have a coach that's writing my training for me. Just like I believe our coach, our clients need to have coaches too. Uh, so the comments are that's interesting. Tr- yeah. yeah, the comments are to sort of tell my coach a little bit how I'm how the day went for me, um, but also to sort of. You know, put a label on it. Like I felt really fresh today. You know, I was able to put forth a lot of effort or today I felt a little bit tired, a little sluggish on this, or I cut the weights short on this one because I just wasn't
0: will feeling you, will strong. Will
1: you include anything around whoop data in that? Um, I have in the past with my coach for sure. Um, and some and like our, our clients are all on, you know, we have our whoop team. Oh, cool. I think we've got about, you know, close to 40, 40 of our global clients that are on there. Oh, also awesome. all of our coaches have, you know, are able to, they're on there as well. So they can just kind of check in on their clients. And, um, but more, those end up being conversations that like when we have consultations every month to check in with our clients, we can reference Pull that up data. The loop data. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's really cool because that's in, in large part how I hoped it would be used. Like, do you find that, um, you know back to what we were discussing earlier with with a coach being there on closer to a twenty four seven basis than a one hour a week basis, do you find that that team element helps you know like a whoop team helps pull people together and understand you know hey checking in
1: I think so yeah i think I think you know coming back to like the community building uh conversation and how you do that with like a virtual business it's having different things like a whoop team or having a Facebook group or having yeah. some way that people can interact. And I know that, you know, we get new clients that ask to get put onto our, you know, team. And yeah. I'm sure they're on there just scrolling through like, Oh, what is Marcus's, you know, strain today? <laughs> and Oh my God, my coach, Brianna, like, Oh, she, Oh, she had a high strain. And right. who's this guy, Danny? He's always like at 17 every day. <laughs> and, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also good to see that our coaches are sort of, they have to be accountable to their own, like their own sleep and their own recovery. It's like they're telling their clients to sleep eight hours, and you know one of my coaches shows up and they only got four and a half hours of sleep last night. It's like, hey, what do you, what are you doing? Why aren't you, you know, taking your sleep as as a priority right now?
0: Right. right, right. I mean,
1: even me, I'm getting up two three times a night with a baby but I'm getting to bed at seven fifteen, and I'm not getting out of bed until about four or 30 or five in the morning. So I'm, I'm accumulating my hours. I'm doing what I have to do, totally. even though I have about an hour to hour and 15 minutes of awake time during the night. But, um, you know, people are like, Oh, your sleep must be terrible. I'm like, it's not great. And it doesn't feel <laughs> like I'm getting as many hours as I'm getting, but look at, I'm actually making the time for it. You know, and yeah. when the baby's not waking up as much at night, I'll stay up later with my wife and we'll watch shows and we'll have like – But right now – So you're
0: actually finding that you're dedicating more time to bed knowing that you're going to be – Yeah, my, my
1: in-bed time is is way up. But my total sleep hours are – Similar. About Yeah, about – similar. So uh, how much time
0: are you spending in bed now and how much time
1: did you used to spend? I mean bedtime for me was usually like between 8 and 9 because that's like – you know the kid the, our first daughter would go down at six thirty, and my wife and i would have a couple hours to ourselves um but now as soon as the first one goes down we're kind of like on you know yeah. it's like okay it's your turn with with the with the newborn and i'm going to go to sleep and so i usually try and get to bed at seven between seven and 7 30 okay and then i'm you know my head hits the pillow and i'm pretty much out like my latency is like zero, zero. <laughs> and then uh sleep
0: latency is how fast you fall asleep
1: yeah, yeah. say. um and then and then i'm up at one to transition into like more of like the on-duty parent and um there'll be like two or three wake-ups between one and when i actually get out of bed which is like four thirty. so uh, that's whatever nine
0: so yes yeah, so you've effectively added an hour hour and a half more in bed Exactly. And then on Whoop you're still getting the same numbers hours of sleep.
1: Yeah. Between like seven and a half and eight and a half.
0: That's good. It's 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 a, it's better I mean, than But I, I mean for a guy who's training at your level, it's also like I think required.
1: Oh definitely, yeah. I mean it's not it's and the
0: it's quality not like of an optional thing if right. you want to make the gains that you're trying to make.
1: Yeah, and the quality of that sleep because it's interrupted isn't as good as, you know, by totally. eight eight straight. Um, but I'm also, you know, it also isn't allowing me to train at the level that I once did. I, mean, yeah. I can't come into the gym and put forth that kind of effort. I'm, um, I think the, the accumulation of like, you know, we're almost at four months of, of sort of a sleep debt that is just sort of, you know, I'm just low level tired all the time.
0: Yeah, it is a form of hazing. I mean, we've seen that it's
1: brutal across the population.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your pre-bed routine? Um like are there certain things that you like to take or you like to do uh, Yeah. do you have any like things about your phone not being near the bed
1: or the room being cold Yeah whatever? no those okay great great direction on that Yeah we have <laughs> we have a a totally pitched black room Good. um and we keep it cold uh What's so, cold for you? Well we we just got air conditioning last year in the house so we keep that at like In the in the summertime, we try and keep it around like sixty eight at night, and then. um, But I also have a fan near the bed that I kind of blast on me too, which can make it double duty. Yeah, Um, we do white noise, and that's something that we kind of started with the baby when the. What machine do you use? Do you know what it's called? uh, no, I don't. But it's like the one that everyone uses for their baby. (laughs) Okay, yeah. There's like two that are. I when I've gone into people's homes that other other parents, (laughs) I'm like. Yeah, you guys, we're all on the same page here. Um, and then, yeah, I, you know, take like a – you know, pre-bed I'll take um, – right now I'm doing some a melatonin uh, supplement just to ensure that I'm like really staying kind of like out th- throughout those – You know, I, I like wait-
0: melatonin. I endorse it. Like, yeah. I think – <clears throat> I think at least I try not to take it every single night mm-hmm. because I think it has better benefits if you can every once in a while not take it or, yeah. you know. But to me, it it definitely improves the rate at which I fall
1: asleep when I get into bed. And mm-hmm. I feel like the quality of that first hour or two. Okay. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like something that I'm, I was looking for something that would, would allow me to continue to stay in a drowsy state even when I was w- making getting those wake-ups in the middle of the night. Because un- initially with the baby, it was like – waking up and then getting these like cortisol and adrenaline surges that would be hard to go back to sleep. So especially if your body's used to just getting up, exactly. Um, magnesium before
0: bed. Um, that's very popular amongst uh, high performance people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For the, uh, muscle recovery benefits and yeah. the sleep, uh, yeah. aid, um, like a, like a cortisol manager, uh, general kind of, uh, pre-bed thing for me and then uh yeah like i have blue blocker glasses so you know if um my wife and i want to watch a show i'll put those on before bed so that i'm what not, kind like, of glasses to use too you know? uh i think the brand i don't know something i got off amazon they're not like um they're not like a well-known brand or anything like that okay. but um and then other than that it's it's kind of just like try and get into just a, a relaxed state with, with, um, whatever I'm doing. So lately it has not been hard for me to like, you know, yeah, not at all. Like when six 30 comes around and like, I put my daughter to sleep, I'm just like, how quickly can I just find a pillow? Cause in I'm the, ready. <laughs> I'm in the ready days now.
0: when you were competing as a CrossFit competitor or. Um, I mean maybe as a college athlete but I imagine you had less routine at that time like what uh, what would you do when you are you had kind of that adrenaline before bed because you were thinking about tomorrow
1: yeah the, I did I actually you know when I was th- that was not as much an issue with uh, being competitive athlete I mean certainly around like competitions I would feel that yeah um, but there weren't really like ways around that it was just like you're just going to be anxious yeah, and nervous just a little bit just, more yeah you just kind of have to the deal uh but what i when i was starting to have issues with that was um after the first baby and my i went through like all these many months of like sleep sleep disruption and she started sleeping through the night then i was having like a hard time getting like back into a good rhythm and winding down so you know there were uh everything from like trying to meditate before bed and to um you know doing like Epsom salt baths. And then, Oh, interesting. Did that uh, work? Yeah. I mean, there were a few things that helped a little bit, but I think it was just like making, you know, uh, just getting into the mindset of like, look, I have to, I have to quiet myself down. I have to like slow things down. And, Probably mostly just the phone, putting the phone away and putting technology away, you know, at least like an hour and a half to two hours before the bedtime was going to happen. I think that was probably the biggest thing for me. Um, And I would
0: imagine too, with social media for you, that's super important because if you go into that wormhole close
1: before bed, you're just going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's definitely, uh, if, if I could, if everybody, if everybody had to shut off Social media for like the nighttime, and we could all just disengage and not yeah. feel like we were missing it's anything. It's like the airplane be,
0: mode, but for yeah. social media. Yeah, we need social media <laughs> airplane mode. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. So, tell me, um, what benefits have you gotten out of
1: Woop personally? I think for me, predominantly being able to sort of have insight into what what's happening at night for me, yeah. sleep. Um, that's something that I, you know, when people ask me on social media they messed me like, Hey, is this should I make this investment? And I'm like I, I I say for a number of reasons, yes, but definitely if you're gonna start to take like a you know, an honest look at how you're sleeping and what you're doing to like optimize that part of the recovery process and the training process. Um Yeah, I mean if you
0: want to lens into a third of your life that's yeah. right now a black box. Yeah, completely. You gotta measure it.
1: Yeah. Which I never did before. I didn't really have a way of measuring before. So that's been a, a huge value add for me. And then, um, I've always appreciated, uh, this concept of like, you know, you have to fuel yourself to perform and, yeah. um, like eating good quality food and eating enough food definitely was always like the, the, the thing that could impact performance the most within CrossFit training. Um, I saw some people, you know, take that to the extreme and just like, I'm just going to constantly get an, like eat food and just eat a bunch of calories every day. And that's going to ensure that I, uh, you know, perform my best the next day. Um, but I'm, but at the same time, like you sacrifice some body composition potentially if you're just consuming a lot of energy without like a, a real, you know, you're not thinking a lot about like the, the energy outputs that are fluctuating throughout your, throughout your week or throughout your training cycle. So all that's to say, like, to me, I, I try to really keep a balance between like, yeah, on high training days, I want to, you know, I definitely want to consume more energy in the way of food so I can recover for the next day. But I also don't want to, you know, over consume or under consume on any given day. So I have a general sense of like my needs, my baseline needs, But allowing myself to have like data on not necessarily just like what what's my calorie output for the day, but more like what's my calorie output on whoop relative to a normal day. Like I know what a, a normal training day is. I burn this many calories according to whoop. Now, if I felt like I had a really hard training day and I see that it correlates to like my energy output along with my strain on whoop, then I'll be like, okay, this is I do need to make up some nourishment in the evening time. Um yeah, so, I'm so using it, it kind of like as a recommend an, almost to eat more. Yeah, and, and or at least to know when my body's signals are actually things that I can trust. Now, oh, I'm going to I'll too. take this You're another level here. Your, yeah, your because body. in in competitive fitness and in like high intensity fitness, there's this I think there's something that people will experience which is like they go and they do something super intense And it can disrupt, like, appetite centers and just your perception of what you need to eat. You know, your total energy output of the day on a really short and intense 10 to 15-minute workout isn't really that much greater than a normal day of your life. I mean, 10 to 15 minutes of high-intensity training has great – potential impact on your body, but not calorie output. Yeah, a lot of other benefits. Yeah, so people are like, oh, I gotta go and and eat a bunch of food, because I just did this super hard training session, and it's like, I'd like to have a little bit more of, I, I enjoy having that metric to sort of say, oh gosh, you know, yeah, really, according to the data from today, like, I did have, like, a pretty high energy output day. You know, my strain is high, my caloric output is really, really high compared to my normal. And I'm feeling those hunger signals. Now there's days where I'm like, I'm just, you know, I think I'm really hungry and I'm like, I haven't really worked that hard today. And I'm like, I think I just need to hydrate more. or I need to do something else. That's uh, my body's obviously interpreting as, as hunger. Um, so anyway, that's kind of a long winded answer, but I use it in that way. And that helps me to sort of manage this. Like I want to perform well, but I also want to look good. And I want to have like the aesthetic that, you know, feels right to me. And I want to feel like I'm in balance and not just like consuming, you know, endless food to try and recover from, you know, training. Any, uh, recover, any, one thing that I like
0: about whoop personally is that it allows you to experiment with things like cold showers, whatever, da-da-da-da. Is there anything that you found, um, that you experimented with that had like a positive or negative effect on your whoop data?
1: Yeah. Recently, uh, I got back, like, uh, I did the Viome test. Have you heard of them? No. It's like a stool sample test, like an in-home thing. You just send it out and then they like spit back this whole database of foods that are ideal for you. Like these are your ideal – these are your superfoods. These are the foods that you should avoid completely and then sort of the middle ground foods. Anyhow, I got my data back and it was like black coffee is like your number one thing you need to avoid. Oh, wow. And I love coffee and I'm like a big coffee guy and so it was like (laughs) – That's a wake-up call. Yeah, totally. I think – Honestly, it was – and it was relative to like my microbiome, you know, not handling stress right now very well because I've been under the stress of sleep totally. deprivation and so forth. So I'm like, OK, I'm just going to – I'm I'm prepared to give this a shot. So I took coffee out like maybe almost two weeks ago and I saw f- immediately like within the first week like my, my recovery scores were much higher. My HRVs were much higher than wow. they had been and nothing else really was changing. So – you know, I, I'm still drinking tea and doing green tea every day and not doing coffee. I'm going to st- stick with that for a little while. Um, I'm not writing off coffee forever, that's for sure. But Yeah, I stopped drinking coffee for about
0: two years, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, in part because I felt I was drinking too much of it and in part because I think like maybe – you know, just where I was in life, I was too anxious about stuff and the coffee was amplifying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I converted completely over to tea. And then for some reason, over the past like two months, I've found myself wanting to bring it back in. Yeah. And I've just naturally let coffee come back into my life. Yeah. And and yet now it doesn't have any it doesn't feel to have any of the negative effects that it had before. So maybe it's that my body's evolved or my mind's evolved a little bit or I'm drinking it healthier. But even if I look at my WHOOP data now versus then, like, again, it looks fine now. It didn't look fine then. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how much of that test that you did um, is good at, like, understanding a local issue versus a perpetual, you know, like, it's sort of the difference between a food sensitivity test where, you know, I'm lactose intolerant. If I take a food sensitivity, it's always going to tell me I'm lactose intolerant. It might be that if I take that test right now it'd tell me black coffee's okay sure whereas two years ago it might say it wasn't I, I don't know I'm just yeah no it's I'm, interesting I, though yeah. But these are what this is why you have to anyway that's a that's a big takeaway for me um are there uh are there any things we uh, haven't covered that you want to you want to jump into
1: um no man this has been pretty we covered a lot i yeah no this has been great
0: no it's been awesome having you on now uh where can people uh where can people find you?
1: Um, I do, you know, I do still love me some Instagram. So yeah. Marcus Philly at Marcus Philly on Instagram is uh, my channel, and then my business revival strength uh, revival strengthcom strength and uh, and we'll it, put all of this in the show notes so yeah. people can find it easily. Yeah, but does uh, the uh, uh, heading over there and signing up for our email list. I mean, um, we have a different kind of level of, of connection that we have with our email list where I'm that's where I like to share a lot of my training concepts and training uh, uh, ideas with people. So, sending out free training con- uh, content all the time on there and keeping you guys informed in, in ways that you can kind of interact with our business um, in different ways. But that's been that's been a really awesome way for me to sort of carry out the the blog that I used to have in in a different format where I can write kind of long-form content for people.
0: Well, I highly recommend it to everyone listening. Uh, You've done a phenomenal job, I think, marrying sort of that like – medical intelligence level but bringing it into a a way that's relatable and and obviously you're living it in a daily on a daily basis so uh, i think you're an inspiration for a lot of people and uh, i highly recommend people look, look you up i appreciate that very much well thanks so much for coming on man yeah it's been great all right cheers Thanks again to Marcus for being our guest today, and we're thrilled to have him as one of our long-time WHOOP members. Check out his social media feed for everything that he does to stay fit on a daily basis. If you're not already a member, you can join the WHOOP community now for as low as $18 a month. We'll provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, and more. The membership comes with a free WHOOP Strap 2.0. And... For listening to this podcast, folks. If you enter the code Will Ahmed, that's WILLAHMED, that's W I L L A H M E D at checkout, we'll give you 30 bucks off. So thank you for listening. Put 30 bucks on my tab, and hopefully you enjoy Whoop. For our European customers, the code is WillAhmedEU. Just tack EU on the end of my name, and that'll get you 30 euros off when you join. Check out Whoop.com slash the locker for show notes and more including links to relevant topics from our conversation. You can subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you found this podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed and follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email thelocker at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions. For our current members, we've got a lot of new gear in the Whoop store. I suggest you check that out. It includes 6, 12, and 18-month gift cards, help you save over time. We've got new bands, new colors, new textures. Visit whoop.com for more. Thank you again for listening to the Whoop podcast. We'll see you next week.